You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The problem of violent crime in a city like Detroit seems really impossible to wrap your arms around. It's a problem that spreads all over the city's 143 square miles, and it is almost hopelessly complex. If only there was one place in the city that brought together most of the people affected by this violence so you could intervene in a way that addresses the problem as close to its source as possible. Well, maybe there is such a place. Think about the city's emergency rooms and all of the different people who come and go from those emergency rooms, sometimes very frequently. L.A. Times reporter Curtis Lee recently spent some time at Sinai Grace Hospital in northwest Detroit for a recent article titled, In Detroit's Busiest ER, a Man with His Own Dark Past Tries to Halt a Cycle of Violence. It looks at the city's struggle to deal with violent crime and what some medical professionals are doing in emergency rooms to try to address it. That includes acknowledging that this is a public health crisis and should be treated as such. Joining us now to talk more about this issue is Curtis Lee. He is a national correspondent for the L.A. Times and the author of that recent article. Curtis, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Stephen. Sure. Also here is Tallulape Chinoyi. He is an emergency room physician at Sinai Grace Hospital and founder of Detroit Life is Valuable Every Day, or D-Live, which works to reach young victims of violence while they're being treated at Sinai Grace in hopes of breaking the cycle of violence. Tallulape, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me, sir. Sure. Uh, Curtis, so let's start with this. Uh, what brought you to Detroit, and how did you choose Sinai Grace as the place to study Detroit's problem of violent crime? Absolutely, Stephen. So I, I, um, I've been covering gun violence for for a number of years, um, going back to you know 2012. After that Aurora Theater shooting in Colorado, I was I was based in Denver. I was living in Denver, working at the Post, and um, you know I, I, I've covered a number of mass shootings, and I've also you know started to break off to cover you know this epidemic of gun violence that, that is, that's going on in, in, in too many cities nationwide. And, you know, with this piece, I, I, I've, I've written a lot about, you know, gun violence from the political perspective, the politics behind it. After every shooting or, you know, you hear Democrats come out with their position and Republicans come out with their position. And then, you know, I've also reported on, on from the victim's angle. For this story, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to go somewhere in the country and, and spend time with a an ER doctor, someone on the front lines um, battling gun violence day in, day out. And, and uh, lo and behold, I mean, with HIPAA laws, it's very tough to get into ERs. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, but I had the opportunity. I, I, I looked around and I, I looked at Detroit and some of the work that was being done in Detroit. And I reached out to, to, to some folks at uh, Detroit Medical Center. And, and uh, they connected me with uh, Dr. Snowy at, at Sinai Grace. And originally, my mindset was this story was going to be a profile of an ER doctor. Um, but but in my initial interviews with with Dr. Sanui, he said, you know, no, it's not it's not about me. Like well, w- the work we're doing at Sinai Grace is kind of this this holistic approach. I have you know I, I I'm collaborating. I'm working with with men who who are are violence intervention specialists who have have lived you know lives in Detroit and who live lived lives on the street and 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 seen violence firsthand and experienced violence firsthand, and they're meeting young people you know, kind of at their, I wouldn't say most vulnerable, but at a critical time, you know, someone who is recovering in the hospital from a gunshot wound or a stabbing wound mm-hmm. or an assault, I mean, they have the opportunity to, 
to, to reach out to, to young people to, to, to become a part of their life and to, to possibly shift the, shift the course of a life. Um, so that's kind of how I, I, I found this program uh, there, at, there at Sinai Grace. Uh, Detroit Life is valuable uh, every day. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Shinoe, talk about how you came up with this idea for addressing violent crime in the emergency room. Right, right. Good question. Uh, and thanks for that, Curtis. I uh, think uh, Curtis and yourself as well laid that out well just in terms of the um, the background of D-Live. Uh, D-Live really came about as a result of, uh, I would say two things, but I think primarily and just simply put, you know, as an emergency medicine physician, it, um, uh, up here, here at Sinai Grace Hospital, we were just seeing, I was seeing just too much violence and I was seeing a lot of it uh, a high amount of violence, and not only a high amount, but a lot of recurrent violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think uh, that resulted in a lot of premature death, you know, a lot of premature death, premature injury. Uh, and it was just it was, it was just too much. It was unacceptable. And I think whenever you're dealing with something that's, uh, um, that you know is preventable and you know that there are resources uh, available, uh, like Curtis said, to be able to change the course of somebody's life and impact health outcomes, uh, in people's lives, you got to take that opportunity to uh, to really make a difference, and not you know just not continuously to be a um, you know sort of like that uh, on that assembly line, so to speak, and mm-hmm. the healthcare provider, you know, sewing so people up, stitching them up, and sending them right back out. So uh, just an opportunity to be able to disrupt that cycle. So. so so talk about how this works, like in a practical sense. Uh, describe that work that you're doing when somebody comes in who is caught up in this cycle of violence in Detroit. Certainly, certainly, certainly. Yeah, so for, for D-Live to be able to be effective, it was really, um, there was a lot of things that had to come into play. Um, and, and I think first and foremost, outside of my clinical experience and sort of uh, trying to be an advocate uh, for this uh, for this organization, it really, it really involved and uh, required the alignment of two major institutions. And that's really on the academic side uh, with Wayne State University uh, and our Department of Emergency Medicine, uh, and then with DMC Sinai Grace Hospital, really having that buy-in, right? Having that academic uh, buy-in in terms of being able to uh, to lift up and elevate uh, this issue of violence and trauma uh, as a public health issue, and really be able to put resources in there to uh, to create some intellectual analysis and to elevate the rigor with which it's studied. And then DMC Sinai Grace Hospital understanding that. Um, yes, this is a grounds for a lot of trauma that's coming in. Uh, it's a center that leads to the state of Michigan and the amount of penetrating trauma. Uh, but having the foresight to understand that, hey, you know what, we do need to put something in there that is uh, promoting health equity, that's going upstream and addressing these social determinants of health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to that end, uh, in terms of how, it's work, how it works, it's exactly that. Curtis mentioned this idea of a teachable moment. Um, when a young man or a young woman become, comes in and they're injured as a result of violence, uh, oftentimes what happens is there's this, there's this moment of being contemplative and understanding and understanding that you were just really in the middle of a life-threatening moment, uh, whether your life was threatened or your limb was threatened, uh, and seeing the despair not only in your life but that of your family. So it's an opportunity where, uh, you know, whether it's a healthcare practitioner or an intervention specialist, uh, can really have an opportunity to talk to somebody and make an impact with regards to getting them to understand the, uh, I think, the gravity of what's happened and an opportunity to be able to engage in some options uh, to change the course from which may have led them there in the first place. Yeah. Uh, and so what we do is, you know, we take that teachable moment when somebody's been injured, when they come into the emergency department, uh, and really start to work with them. 
uh, you know, building that rapport and that relationship and then understanding uh, the different resources that we have that we can offer directly uh, as it relates to uh, issues like employment or education or transportation, but then also understanding a lot of the resources that exist in the community as well so that we can be that conduit, if you will, um, as well. So yeah. it's, it's that combination of things there, yep. Uh, I, I want to ask you both, uh, as African-American males, uh, what it's uh, sort of the dimension of this that uh, that sort of brings you, uh, brushes you up against the the, the conditions that uh, so many African-American males in cities like Detroit or Los Angeles or the other places, Curtis, that uh, you go and report. Um, there, there's got to be something about that that moves you in this space that's got to be sort of defining, I guess, for the work that you're doing. Uh, and and I, I'm saying this as an African-American male who lives in Detroit as well, that when I brush up against this part of life in this city, uh, there's always just a little bit more um, pain, I guess, uh, feeling uh, when, when you think about the things that you're seeing and experiencing and the lives that you're seeing come through uh, this emergency room or, or, in, other, or in other places. Uh, Dr. Shinoya, I'll, I'll start with you. Right, right, right. Now, that's a, uh, that's a very good question, and it's definitely asked a lot. I think, uh, you know, I think first and foremost, my, re- my responsibility, again, as a community member, as a community member um, and as a physician is to be an advocate you know, and to, you know, to use the platform uh, and position and privilege that I have in terms of being a physician and what I've been exposed to and then, you know, living out here uh, to be able to be that advocate and really kick in the door for, you know, resources and solutions and innovations to be able to come through. And I think that, um, you know, when because I look at myself in that lens in terms of, you know, if, I, if I'm taking off the doctor hat, uh, and just as a just as a member of the community, I think it's just a responsibility that you have in terms of living in a place, um, you know, where it's happening. And, you know, you see how it affects people, mm-hmm. you know, every day. It's ubiquitous out here. And so uh, most most definitely, I think that definitely plays a role, uh, I think, in terms of understanding that, um, yeah, that, you know, I have a primary role as an advocate and a community member out here to be able to, um, uh, to use my platform to be able to be an advocate for social justice and equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Curtis, uh, your work at the LA Times often is taking you to take a look at the effect that the Trump administration's policies are having on people and uh, people around the country. Uh, talk about how you see, you, you come to a city like Detroit, you go to an ER and you see uh, as you as you report in the story that uh, many of the people who come in there are young and African American men, um, uh, you know, uh, shot or or otherwise harmed. Uh, talk about how you move through that space uh, in, in your work. Yeah, I, I mean, I think nationwide. I, I mean, you see, I mean, there's a number of socioeconomic factors that are at play that that you know that. It, that, that it's difficult. I mean, young brothers are dying in the streets every day in a lot of American cities, and there's an, uh, and people are not looking at the socioeconomic factors mm-hmm. at play. Uh, you know, poverty, poor education systems, and um, you know, just a, a lack of, of, of resources um, in communities and and, and uh, in cities around this country. And you know, I think that with this piece, that's why I mean, I I I, I was so 
I was, it was, it was interesting in my early reporting, just speaking to the doctor about this. And, and, you know, in my mind, I wanted to just, you know, swoop in and spend, you know, three or four days with uh, uh, an ER physician in, in, a, in, a, in a busy ER that sees a lot of gun violence. And, you know, what I came away with um, was a story, you know, that I think that really hit on humanity and, 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 and things that are, you know, going on in, in cities around this country and, and being able to, to meet with someone like Ray Winans um, and Calvin Evans, mm-hmm. who are two violence intervention specialists with uh, Detroit Life is Valuable Every Day. And, you know, see their work. I mean, Calvin, um, uh, you know, lived in Detroit his whole life, and, um, you know, he was incarcerated for some time, but has recently got, gotten out of prison and, and, and is working in the community. Ray Winans, um, you know, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, an, is an advocate for, for young people in the city, and, and you know, these guys have, have lived lives in Detroit and have, have you know, seen a lot of things on the street who have been, have been a part of some of these socioeconomic factors that play in cities that date back decades, that this isn't just in the last year, two years. I mean, this is, this is affecting generations, yes. cycles of violence. I mean, if you read my piece, um, you know, Ray Wine is his father, you know, passed away when he was nine years old. He was 27 years old and was shot, you know, the Jeffrey's housing projects there in Detroit in the eighties. And, and uh, Ray was incarcerated for some time, but, but got out of prison and is now, you know, working with young people in the city. And I think with this story, if, if, if uh, I would encourage your readers to, or your listeners to go back and read the piece, I spent an evening, uh, May 17th, in the ER there at Sinai Grace, mm-hmm. and I saw D-Live at work, actually. Um, you know, they were having a peer support group session. There were 10 young men in a room just off the ED, the emergency department there, and they were eating pizza and, and drinking soda and, and you know, watching this violence intervention, this this program from New York, a live stream on the TV about, you know, people telling their stories of, of violence and how it's affected their lives. And, and everyone kind of went around the room and talked about their experience in Detroit. And, you know, what what, what I caught in that moment, I mean, these, these young men were in this room, this, this safe space, per se, for three or four hours. Um, they weren't on the street. They weren't hanging out. I mean, summer's just started. These are young people you know, 14 to 30, and they, they were they were in this safe space doing, like, you know, peer-to-peer, you know, counseling and, and work and talking about their experiences, um, just stepped away from the emergency department, and they're in this, this, this safe space, per se, and then, you know, I, I was there, and that's when this young man, Mario Brown, came in with a gunshot wound uh, mm. that evening, and I was able to see this program at work, you know, see the work of Ray Winans at this young 17-year-old's bedside, who had just come in with a gunshot wound. I was, I was grateful to be able to spend time with uh, the Brown family. Um, and, and I really was able to capture gun violence at, the, at, 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 at its most critical, I mean, at, a, at, a, at a very moment after a young man was shot, he right. rushed into the ER. And I'm seeing family crying. I'm seeing, you know, uh, Ray Winans and Calvin Evans go to work in per se and, you know, getting, talking to this young man's family, talking to him looking to get him resources. Um, and, you know, I, it, was just a, it was just a very powerful moment. And, and I think that, that it was really, it really was captured. I hope it was captured in this, in this story for mm-hmm. Los Angeles Times. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Dr. Sanuyi, um, uh, how do we know this is working? Uh, other than uh, the, the sort of anecdotal uh, ideas that it's working, are we able to track what's happening here? Absolutely. Great, great question. I'll, I'll give you a, just answer that in, in three ways. Uh, number one, primarily, if we 
our primary outcome that we look at primarily from a, just like an objective hard data standpoint is, hey, how well is the DLive intervention doing at preventing uh, recurrent injury, uh, you know, or trauma recidivism, right? How well are we doing at preventing somebody from coming back in again or getting injured again or dying? Uh, back in the 80s, there was a uh, study primarily based out of Henry Ford Hospital, but it involved all the trauma centers uh, in Detroit at that time. And what they found was that when somebody between the ages, it was around between 18 and 44, 45, when they were injured, they had a, um, a four, to five in, uh, 4 to 5 out of 10 chance in terms of being re-injured again within five years. Most of that would happen within two years. Uh, they coined that concept uh, trauma recidivism, right? And they likened it to a chronic recurrent disease. Mm-hmm. So what we found out in the 80s is that the recurrent re-injury rate, your risk of being re-injured if you've been injured once, uh, was 44%. And so we track ours based off of that, you know, historical data back back in the 80s. And so as of now, since we uh, launched in April 2016, after having approximately, I'd say approximately like 80 to 90 guys who kind of like been in D-Live. Mm-hmm. Uh, some have been there, you know, for a portion of two years. Nobody's been re-injured. Uh, and so we look at that trauma recur- that trauma recidivism rate or recurrent re-injury rate is our primary objective outcome. Wow. Uh, some of the other measures we look at include, okay, uh, have we been able to prevent, uh, you know, incarceration? Have we been able to get people plugged in with uh, housing uh, and education and employment, right? What kind of... Uh, what kind of inroads have we met there, right, in terms of people that we met who were unemployed before we met them and then getting them employed, how we've been able to sort of uh, uh, bring down PTSD scores and depression scores. Uh, and so you have some of those sub subcategories that we look at, but primarily we want to, you know, we want to promote uh, healthy, healthy outcomes, and that means uh, getting people uh, to be healthy and to live and not be re-injured again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's the main one there. So we've been able to track that because we, we follow guys throughout, right? So we have a relationship with them, and they're, they're in the DLAT program, if you will, anywhere from as short as six months all the way out to 18 to 24 months, however long it takes to be able to build up that resilience and address these, uh, these socioeconomic factors that Curtis described. Because uh, we know that once we do that, those are preventative, right? Those provide the sort of preventative armor in terms of reducing the risk of recurrent injury. Hmm. Okay, Dr. Talula Pei Shonuyi, emergency room physician at, physician at Sinai Grace and founder of Detroit Life is Valuable Every Day, or DLive. We're going to thank you for being here on Detroit Today and uh, hope to talk with you soon to catch up on what's going on with this program. Thank you for having me, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, Curtis Lee, national correspondent for the Los Angeles Times. We are going to keep you for the next segment where we are going to continue this conversation and we are going to take your phone calls. How do you think we should deal with violent crime here in Detroit? Do you think harsh prison sentences and tough law enforcement crackdowns are the way or should we treat this more as a public health crisis as some health professionals are now doing at Sinai Grace? Or is it both? Has violent crime affected you? Or your family? What did that look like for you? And what's been the long-term effect on you and your loved ones? 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Curtis Lee. He's a national correspondent for the Los Angeles Times. He recently wrote a piece titled, In Detroit's Busiest ER, A Man with His Own Dark Past Tries to Halt a Cycle of Violence. It is about an innovative approach in the ER at Sinai Grace Hospital here in Detroit to intervening in the cycle of violence, focusing on what can be done in the emergency room where often victims and sometimes perpetrators of violent crime all sort of come together. What would happen if you treated this as a public health crisis and tried to intervene in that cycle of violence there? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313 577 1019 is always the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to uh, Twitter and uh, hashtag Detroit Today, and we will uh, work you into the conversation here. Uh, Curtis, uh, I want to start this segment talking about how you compare what you saw here in Detroit to what you see in some of your other reporting in other cities around the country, you know, what I what I saw there in Detroit, um, and I know we talked about a little bit in the, the earlier segment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what what I was able to see firsthand was um, you know, a, a live state in, the, in this young seventeen year old. He was he was at a barbecue in Northwest Detroit, Mario Brown, and mm-hmm. hanging out with friends and family. A gunman walks up on May seventeenth and fires six rounds, and he's shot in the lower back and um, is rushed to Sinai Grace, which is about a mile away. And um, there he met, you know, obviously doctors and, and nurses and, and also, you know, members, violence intervention specialists with D-Live, uh, Calvin Evans and um, Ray Winans. And, and what I saw there was, uh, I mean, a young man who, and I, I expressed this to his mother in, throughout the course of this, this, this process and in doing the story. And, and um, I was having a conversation with Nikki Brown, his mother, um, and I said, you know, Ms. Brown, a lot of times I, I, when I'm interviewing a mother, of a child who, who who's had a gunshot wound, and it's just we were just talking. And I just you know said, um, you know, usually that the the young person isn't with us anymore is mm-hmm. is gone, is deceased, has been has been killed, and 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 I'm usually talking to family members, you know, after the fact that their their life isn't isn't saved, and um, they don't have you know an opportunity to 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 have another day, and and you know there was just kind of we just, we just. Uh, the silence kind of fell in, in our conversation, and we both kind of I, we both kind of had this thought, like, "Wow, you know, like this this could have been much different." And mm-hmm. and the, the day after Mario was shot, I went over to the house and spent some time with the family, and and you know, there's this real and it's expressed in this article on uh, latimes.com uh, that there was this, this kind of feeling in the room of you know that, that this could have been everyone in the room could have been planning for a funeral that mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Um, that Friday after the shooting, the shooting was May 17th, and I went to the house May 18th and spent time. And there was a feeling that it could have been a funeral. And too often, you know, I, I, when I in covering these, in covering shootings, whether they're, you know, just I hate to say chess shootings, like you know, in the city, because I mean, there's so many shootings that happen every day in cities around this country that are merely blips on the news, and everyone goes on with their day. Mm-hmm. But you know, I was hoping with this piece I could capture, you know, that that there are there's there, there is going to be PTSD for this young man for for weeks and years sure. ahead, um, and you know, I think day in day out, you know, a lot of times news media focuses on on gun violence after 
you know, a mass shooting at a suburban high school or, you know, a theater. And then, but there, there's issues that are going on every day in cities, um, you know, for black folks, for Latino folks, sure. for, you know, uh, everyone that, and, and, and like I hit on earlier, there's a lot of socioeconomic factors at play. But with this story, you know, I was, I was able to speak to a woman who, who hadn't lost her child. And, you know, there is hope for, for the future for this young man. Yeah. Uh, Alvin on Facebook says, it's cultural. Stop playing gangster rap. Promote fists, not bullets in the communities. The government cannot solve this. They can only lock people up. Well, maybe they can abolish alcohol. That may help a little. Uh, the, the, the idea that this is a cultural problem inside the African-American community, I think, actually plays right into what they're trying to do at Sinai Grace. They're trying to intervene in that sort of uh, that, that, that cultural dynamic that produces these things without assessing, uh, you know, who's responsible for uh, that culture. Where did that culture come from? You know, the, the effect of the majority culture on minority cultures, for instance. Uh, uh, Curtis, this, this idea of dealing with people at that very granular level is, is I think, one of the things that probably makes this successful. Absolutely. And, and in just spending time there at Sinai Grace and just, you know, spending time with the, the, the physicians there and, and, and the, 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 the nurses and all the staff. And I mean, it's a lot, what a lot of people said, I mean, when people come in with a gunshot wound into Sinai Grace or, or into other DMC hospitals, I mean, no one is, no one is saying, uh, looking at why are you here? Mm-hmm. You know, what brought you here? What did you do kind of thing? No, it, it's about saving a life and giving the person the resources they need to live a fuller, yeah. better life. And and there's no questions of like, you know, well, why are you here? What got you here? No, it, it's about it's about helping people, being on the front line, and 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 for young people especially, getting them the resources they need. And and I, I, I go back to that night, May 17th, and there was this peer support group there. Uh, D-Live was hosting um, uh, just in, in a conference room just off the emergency department and you know one little thing that 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 really stuck out to me that that wasn't conveyed in the story what Deli did was got everyone all of the 10 people who were the young people who came to that peer support group Mm -hmm. they had all suffered from gunshot wounds but in order it was it's tough for them it's tough for people to get around the city if you don't have a car public transportation might not always be the best i'm not sure about detroit that that well but um, you know one thing they did was they, they got these young men lit you know, yeah. a lift, a car, picked them up at their house and brought them to the hospital. They didn't have to sit and wait for a bus. They right. didn't have to, you know, um, walk. They didn't have to rely on a friend to get a ride. But but the, the little things like transportation is provided, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, resources. That for, makes for a big difference. GED, different things. And, and um, yeah. yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's just a, 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 yeah. an interesting program for sure. Okay. Curtis Lee, national correspondent for the Los Angeles Times, author of the piece titled In Detroit's Busiest ER, A Man With His Own Dark Past Tries to Halt a Cycle of Violence. Thanks very much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. Hope you will, too. And don't forget to check out Facebook for our Detroit Today Summer Book Club. And join us as we read and discuss Matthew Desmond's Evicted. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, the community service of Wayne State University. We will see you tomorrow.